Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm Jacqueline Ganon. On today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Denitra Walker, who's worked in broadcast journalism and now teaches social justice journalism at the University of Georgia. Today, we're talking about what social justice journalism is and why it matters. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism and Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now here's the lead. Hi, Dr. Walker. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. No, thank you so much for having me, Jacqueline. Looking forward to our chat. So my first question kind of goes back to the beginning, and it's what made you interested in journalism? <laughs> I think I, I feel like I answered this question differently every time <laughs> um, because I feel like there's a lot of things that made me interested in journalism, of course, in the world I grew up in. You know, my family watched the news, um, especially our local news. And it really made me interested in what the anchors were doing and the stories that they were telling. Um, but I think what really got me interested was when I was in college. I um, had a music scholarship and I was going to go through a program with a full music scholarship. Um, and at the last minute, I toured the Dan Rather Communications Building at Sam Houston State University and I fell in love. So once I saw that building, I fell in love with the studio. I fell in love with, you know, the potential and the opportunities that were, you know, possibly ahead of me. And I fell in love with journalism. So I guess that's what you can say. I got bit by the journalism bug um, by seeing some of the things within the program, which was a very hands-on program. From day one, as a freshman, I was volunteering with the newsroom. So, yeah, that's what got me interested, you know, Early on, family, eventually falling in love with the art of storytelling and just all of the the things you could do with being a journalist. Yeah, that's great. And that's kind of similar to my own journey. I know some people who have kind of been like, I've known I wanted to be a reporter since I was like three years old. And I was <laughs> like, I, not the case for me. Um, but so since then, can you talk about the jobs that you've had in the industry and what those jobs have taught you? Yeah. So I, I tell people all the time, we can probably name the things that I haven't done more than the things that I have. From the moment I was in college, I did everything. But when I actually first got my job in television, um, I was a production assistant. So I did a little bit of everything. I worked in master control. <laughs> I used to run tapes, VTR, which they no longer have because clearly we're in the digital age, right? So yes, I was the person who accidentally ejected a tape live on air, okay? So that happened, Jacqueline. We're going to have to talk about that another time. But um, I used to run prompter. I used to, you know, be a graphics operator. I have been a camera operator. So I would wear like a full suit, some heels, and then I would run cameras. Yes, and they were like, oh, why are you wearing heels on camera? And I'm like, because I have to be fabulous. You dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have, okay? And so I did a little bit of everything. I did a little on-air stuff, but I'm going to be honest with you, that was not my thing. Um, I was a behind-the-scenes queen, so I worked as a producer, which is most of my time has been spent as a producer, 
which of course is literally my heart and soul of like journalism. Um, in terms of broadcast journalism, they put everything together for the show. And then eventually I moved into management where I was an, an executive producer um, in the morning, an executive producer in the afternoon, and then eventually I um, worked in management as the assistant news director, which is essentially the second in charge in a newsroom to run newsroom operations. So that's a glance at some of the things I've done, um, and all of those things were in television, so I, I am a trained broadcast journalist. Definitely a varied career. So what do you like about broadcast journalism? One of the things I really liked about it was the fact that I watched it growing up and now it was so fast paced and I just fell in love with the visual element of being able to tell stories with pictures, um, but also just the fast pace of breaking news. So I'm a person, I love that deadline pressure. Um, I tell people all the time, you know, you go in, I, I used to say one of my shows, and this is back when I worked in Augusta, I was a producer there, and I was like, at 4.57.58, I remember what time my show started, it's going on the air. So I really like the, the fact that you can send out crews and, you know, do live coverage of storms or whether it's a very, you know, a tragic story or a happy story that you can be live on the air making it happen, writing scripts as people are literally reading them over the air. Um, so I got that adrenaline like a lot um, and just the newsroom environment was so great. And just being able to tell stories from the standpoint of a place that I felt people respected and they honored and there was a lot of tradition there um, at the time for me to really, really be in those spaces and do this work. Yeah, I feel like broadcast, it takes a very specific type of like personality. And like you said, someone who thrives on that like adrenaline rush and last minute things. Oh yeah, like there have been some moments, Jacqueline, that when I look back, I tell people, my goodness. <laughs> like there have been moments where I was writing scripts as people were literally reading them on air. And I'm not even talking about breaking news. Like sometimes it just happens. There have been times when I started a show with no video. There's a time when, you know, we're tossing to a package that's not there. There are times when, you know, there's storm coverage and you're rolling coverage. So. so then what then brought you back to academia and teaching, which you're doing now? The entire time I was in the newsroom, it has always been my intention, um, and it was always extremely important to me to be a mentor, to be a person who worked with others to do the best and be the best journalist as possible. When I was an undergrad, we had some great professors, um, but I did not have any professors who reflected me in terms of being a woman, in terms of being a black woman or a person of color. And I remember, you know, there were just different experiences that I had being in that space. And I remember looking around one day and, and this is when I worked in management for we had like a little television station there. And I remember running that little television station and doing all these different things and saying, well, what if I were a person who was at the top of the classroom? Um, I didn't know what that was going to look like, and I I kind of put it off for a couple of years, and I said, well, 
I will be a professor someday so that I can help work with students so that they can have a better experience and be exposed to things that I believe we don't have an opportunity in certain spaces. I went to a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution, and I was like, it would be great to be able to share in some of these experiences after I get experience in the newsroom, right? Because that was, that was important to me. I felt like not all of my professors had that background. It wasn't wrong. It just was for me. I wanted someone to be able to say, this is what happened to me, or I know people who had this experience. And so I didn't know when that time period would be, but eventually, you know, after going from market to market, um, being in different newsrooms, the time finally came. And it was somewhat of a tough decision because I still love newsrooms. I still love journalism, but I, I had enough practical experience to know that it was time. And so the time came and I, I just jumped in feet first from, to a master's program, which was a huge adjustment from live television every day, multiple times a day. And you talked about this just now, but UGA is also a PWI, and you're, so you're one of few black tenure-track professors at the university. So can you talk a little more about why that's so important to have those professors, like you mentioned, that represent the different identities in the student body? To see yourself reflected is super important. I know what that meant for me as an undergrad student um, when I did not have people to kind of model after or watch or see. And even if I, they did not have the same exact walk because we all have a different journey, it would have been great to kind of have some of that opportunity to kind of share in some of the, the lived experience um, that I had to deal with. Um, I had some, you know, not so positive experiences in undergrad. So it's so important because even when I was at USC um, and now being at UGA, Every semester I've taught, and I've taught for at least, what, five years now um, on the college level, I've had so many different students tell me it is great to have a black professor. And so that has reaffirmed over my process of finishing my PhD and teaching all the classes and the, and the tough topics that I research and I talk about. When I have those moments, it reminds me that I have to keep going um, and so it can also be a lot of pressure because the things I talk about are not things people want to hear all the time. They make people uncomfortable. Um, they say, why do you talk about race and everything, race and media, ethnicity and, and gender? Um, but I realize that it is a responsibility. And if I don't do it, then who? And so it is so important to do this work. It is so important to be this professor, and it's so important to be an example to my students, no matter what their backgrounds are. I've had people tell me, seeing you up there in the front of the class doing this work, getting a PhD, you know, all the sacrifices you've made to be here, I'm thinking about being a professor. And so I tell people one of the reasons that we don't have as many people of color or black professors, you know, on a tenure track, because we don't have a lot of examples. Um, and the same thing is for news management. I worked in a traditional setting with older white men. And I was a you know black female in that space, and I was able to knock down barriers to be an example for someone who was a reporter or an intern. I had someone tell me recently, they're now a, a reporter at a station 
that they were an intern when I was assistant news director. And she told me, I remember seeing you in that newsroom every day. So seeing yourself reflected, it promotes you to be more open and to dream bigger. And so that's what I would like to do. That's really so important, like you said, to have that change start from leadership positions so that you can mentor people because that's the only way that like the change in the industry that it really so desperately needs is going to happen. And then along those same lines, you teach social justice journalism here. So can you tell me what that like, what does that mean, especially to you? And then why is that so important? Yes. So and of course, you are in my class. (laughs) Um, You know, social justice journalism, of course, is so tough to kind of define. There's no one definition, and we talk about that over and over. But it is so important because there are lived struggles and opportunities, right, because I want to balance both, um, from communities that we have not necessarily paid a lot of attention to. And when I say we, I mean traditional news organizations, um, mainstream media. And so a lot of times journalists don't have an opportunity to really get the training from the ground up of understanding how to cover certain communities, underserved, um, marginalized groups, whether it's LGBTQ+, whether it is a black community or an Asian American community or any community that has been underserved. And so this class really gives, and this work really gives students an opportunity to kind of peel away the layers while using some of the foundational lessons of journalism, but also kind of deconstructing that as well. Because you can learn all this, but you go right into a newsroom and then you're going to fall right into the culture. So how do you push back and fight for stories that really matter, to fight for sources that that we're not always hearing from? It's so important because As a journalist, you will be faced with so many obstacles beyond deadline pressure. Um, We had a guest speaker who was talking about mental health and well-being. Um, You're in these situations sometimes where you're in, you know, you feel like you're in danger when you're telling certain stories or you feel unwanted in certain communities because of how they've been covered in the past. Journalists are really learning to not just talk about the story in the moment, but how to talk about systemic issues over time, why certain communities feel the way they feel and feel hurt by not just traditional news organizations, but also our systems, our criminal justice system, you know, our healthcare system. So it's so important because beyond the basics of learning how to talk about these stories, we are practically peeling away the layers to do a tangible, not just product, but do something tangible in the community as well as um, in the name of journalism to push what traditional norms actually call for. I really believe that a class like this at a time like this is well needed. It should have been on all of our college campuses a long time ago. I plant the seed in the class, and it's up to you all to take that and water it and grow and take it to others and do this work. We talked about in class how journalism is the first draft of history, and I think that's really important that going forward we have the most true draft it's ever been and continues to get better. As a first-generation student, not just undergrad, just going into a master's and PhD, 
What was that like for you, not having that, like anyone in your family do that before you? My dad worked in the railroad. He had a really good job. But at the time, you know, having a college degree was not something everyone, quote unquote, got like now, right? Um, and my mom was a computer operator um, at the time, right? But it's a much different definition of what I guess you would call it now. It was hard navigating, um, even with two extremely intelligent parents, you know, a very supportive family. It was still very tough trying to do very simple things like the FAFSA, and I use simple very loosely, okay? <laughs> it was very tough being in a lot of these spaces. I always knew that I belonged at every table. A seat was for me if I wanted to be at that table, and I will always pull up the next person to have an opportunity to. But when you're young like that, and even though you know that you belong, it's still very difficult to navigate some of the spaces when you have peers who already kind of had a leg up or they were legacy or whatever the case may be, and they were in these spaces. But yeah, it was really, really tough trying to navigate through um, school. So I joined everything. I joined an honor fraternity. I joined a sorority. I joined, not in this order, but I joined, you know, I was the person who worked checking out equipment. I was the, you know, person who volunteer with the TV station. I did it all because I was trying to navigate and figure out what it was I wanted to do. Um, so my parents couldn't help me with a lot of the things that I needed help with. The things that some people say, duh, or you should know that, I didn't know. So it was like trial by fire. But navigating those spaces, really, really trying to figure out what to do, how to even figure out what I wanted to do in life, it was a lot of trying things, maybe not doing so well, but naturally I was an overachiever. And so it just made me work harder. And it also really inspired me to know that I want to make this better for someone else because I'm not one of those people that if I had to walk 10 miles in the snow, I don't want you to have to walk 10 miles in the snow. And so I think through some of my struggle of being, you know, first gen and, and, you know, it's an honor, but it's also a way for me to really know that I had to overcome some really, really tough things, you know, including paying back student loans for a very, very long time, <laughs> but also be able to be an inspiration to someone who may also have a similar background um, and experience to know they can do it too. I really liked what you said about knowing that you deserve a seat at the table and about mentorship. I think those are both really great points. That goes pretty well into my last question, which is what advice do you have for aspiring journalists? Oh, gosh. We have enough time? Yeah. <laughs> so more than anything, I will tell an aspiring journalist that the world is your oyster, and I know we hear that all the time. But there are so many opportunities that I didn't even realize we had, but now in this technology age, in this digital age, you can do almost anything. Don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to work a little late or a little early, come in a little early. That, that was me, even when I wasn't getting paid. I'm not telling y'all not to get paid. You get paid, y'all get your coins. But what I'm saying is to, to really tap into all of the things you want to do to try things, even if you do it part-time, but to really, really focus on the passion and the purpose. 
Because if you do all the other things like the money, the opportunities, it will come. And at a time like this where our field is going through so many changes, our country is going through so many changes, our world is going through so many changes, don't be afraid to change and evolve with it. Don't focus on everyone else. Stay focused on being successful, being a hard worker. Your dream should be so big that it scares you. And if your dreams don't scare you, you're not dreaming big enough. That is phenomenal advice. Yes. Thank you so much for joining today. No problem. Thank you for um, allowing me to share this space with you and talk about some of the things that you know I'm thinking and I've experienced. Thank you again to Dr. Walker for joining me on this episode, and thank you for tuning into The Lead. I'm your host, Jacqueline Gannon. Our executive producer is Charlotte Norsworthy, and this show is supported by the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcast. See you next time.